Amen. Thank you guys for uh, this, that moment. Continue to press into prayer. How many would say we live in interesting days? Can you say amen? That was pretty weak. How many would say, for those of you who maybe are a little older, would say this is really almost like an unprecedented day to be alive, just in what's happening in, in the nation. And Do you guys care if I just share the word this morning? Can I just share? Can I just share? Did you know that I believe that the gospel of Jesus is the great remedy that ails humanity? If you agree, say amen, that the glory of the gospel. Come on. I just want to share some scriptures and make a few comments and then we'll pray. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Anyone remember when they were dead in their transgressions and sins? Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Objects of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up. Say that with me. Raised us up. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Did you know that in the gospel he doesn't just save and wipe away your sins. He elevates you and raises you to sit where he is. For it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Come on, everyone say that. No one can boast. No one can boast. No one can boast, except for in the Lord. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. For we are God's workmanship. Say that with me. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How many believe that you are alive on the planet in this hour for a purpose and a reason? How many believe that if you're a believer in this hour, that God in particular has a unique role for you to step into in this hour of great hostility, rage, chaos that's abounding? Did you know that it wasn't just his purpose to raise you, to forgive you as amazing as personal salvation is and to rescue you from bondage to the flesh and walking after the pattern of this world of being under the influence of the ruler of the spirit of the age. How many would say that'd be a pretty good day to go home and celebrate if all of that was true and it is true. But did you know that all that he does in you, he wants to then use you and do through you for those who are still bound and broken under the influence of the enemy. He has a plan for you. Say that with me. He's got a plan for me. He's got a purpose for me. Me even being here is evidence that God has a purpose and a plan for me in this actual hour of history. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do 
good works. And I love that last part of verse 10. God prepared in advance for us to do. How many know that Acts chapter 17 is true? That God determined the times and the seasons, the spaces and the places for all of humanity to live in their moment of history. Come on, somebody say amen to that. You and I are alive in this hour for a reason. For a reason. The Bible goes on to say... How many are familiar with Ephesians 2, 1 through 10? Personal salvation. How many are thankful? But it doesn't stop there. How many believe that the gospel doesn't just change my vertical reality, it changes my horizontal reality? Okay, crickets. Let me say that again. How many believe the gospel doesn't just transform how I relate to God, but it transforms how I relate to the other? The Bible goes on to say in Ephesians 2 verse 11, Therefore, remember that you who are Gentiles by birth and call them circumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus Christ, we all have access to the Father in one Holy Spirit. And we all said, Amen. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Come on, in Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I want you to know that what we see in the, the racism of the day, the, 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 the violence against police officers, every ailment, every issue that we see, the gospel actually speaks to. The, the confession of our faith, the lordship of Jesus, that he was a man who was born of a virgin, that he lived and he walked for 30 years as a common carpenter, that when he was baptized and his father initiated his ministry, that's central to what God is doing in Jesus, what he has done is for this very hour in history. Come on, someone say it with me. The cross destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility to make peace a actual tangible possibility. The gospel doesn't just make me right with God. It makes me right with you and you right with me, but only when we go through the cross. It's been so unbelievable. You know, I, my, uh, I have a black brother-in-law, Jason Gore. Actually, one of the highlights of my whole life, I've done many marriages, but one of the highlights of the anointing and the inbreaking of God was when Jason married my sister, Kristen. I preached the gospel. And black people are a little bit better at giving amens to preachers. And I've been told I preach like a black guy, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I take that as a high, high compliment, by the way. 
Very high compliment. And I'm preaching up a storm and all Jason's family, amen, you know, it's glory. It's a wedding ceremony. <laughs> now the two shall be, I'm preaching the gospel. I have, you, I have two beautiful biracial nephews, Luke, who's just gonna be a sophomore in college, and also JJ or Jeremiah, who's just a toddler. Did you know what else in my family? I've got two cops. A sheriff, a police officer. I have made three or four videos this week to send to you that I have uploaded or deleted because I felt powerless to be able to speak to any issue without offending somebody. And then I just realized, oh my gosh, in your own family, Chad, in a very small, very, very small microcosmic size way, you, you can speak to the tension of the hour. The complexity of the hour and so what do i do when i'm confused or when i you know spend hours making a video to upload and i'm like oh well that camp's going to be this and this camp's going to be that i just keep going back to the scriptures and i realize that the gospel and what god has done in jesus isn't some roundabout way to talk to the issues of our day it is dead smack center of what god has done in jesus which is to reconcile all things and all peoples to himself through the blood of the cross. And he doesn't do this in like a nice trite, let's just all get along. Like he deals with injustice, with sin, with the brokenness of the human heart at its source. At its source. You know, one of the great promises I've returned to so many times over these last few weeks is found in Isaiah chapter 11. Turn there with me. And this is where we'll land the plane and we'll cry out to the Lord a little more. It says this in Isaiah chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And I want you to know when the Bible talks about a shoot and a root and a branch, what is it talking about? It's talking about a growth that's springing forth from a place of devastation, destruction, despair, and emptiness and barrenness. Do we understand that if we see a tree that's cut off and all that's left is a stump, it's a long time before that stump grows into a tree and bears fruit. If you agree, say amen. So when Isaiah prophesies that there's one who's going to come out of the desolation, out of the barrenness, out of the despair and destruction of the people of Israel, a shoot, a branch, a new growth is going to spring forth and something is going to take place in and through that branch's life and fruit bearing. I want you to know the gospel of our day and the, the issues and the chaos that rages and abounds that you and I don't have to skirt the issues. We could stand and in that place lead in to say we serve a God in Christ who's made provision for this hour. A shoot will come up. A branch will bear forth fruit and look at how it describes this righteous branch Jesus Christ the spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears 
How many believe today we live in a day where the, the, the boundary lines keep getting shifted depending upon whatever cultural narrative is in the mainstream media? Come on, somebody say amen to that. I mean, many of us, it's this issue, then it's that, and the, 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 the boundaries, and I, I, I'm sorry, actually I'm not sorry if this offends anybody, but I was on Twitter this week, which don't go on Twitter during this time, but it was interesting that Planned Parenthood was hashtagging Black Lives Matter, and just reading the comments under Planned Parenthood, there was just no, the point is, we have no capacity to be the ones who are accurate to release judgment to make the call on what is good and right apart from a reference point being the righteousness and goodness of God. And in it, we live in a cultural moment where every one of us is a judge and a jury with our smartphones. Can I get an amen? But the great hope of the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests is He will not judge by what He sees with His eyes. He will not judge by what He hears with His ears. Come on, somebody. You have to understand why this is such good news. Jesus steps into the mess of humanity, into, into racism, into brutality, into rioting, into looting. Come on, he steps into all of that. He doesn't change his opinion based on what is the current news cycle. He doesn't all of a sudden say, oh, I changed my mind. This is okay now. And this is, we'll let this slide and we'll wait another couple weeks till something else tragic happens. I want you to know the great news is that the one on whom the spirit of the Lord rests, he doesn't judge by what he sees or hears. He judges out of his character, which is utterly just, utterly kind, utterly merciful and utterly holy and full of love. The great hope of the hour is not to move the boundary lines and the barriers of the goodness of our God who has instituted his glorious law for all of creation to flourish and to thrive and function in submission to but that jesus the one on whom the spirit rests he steps in and he's not bumped to right or to left when he executes justice how many think that'd be a pretty good characteristic to adopt in this hour we don't judge by what we hear or what we see. We look at the one who is full of justice and who reigns on a throne of righteousness and justice. We say, as you say, as you've embodied, as you've instituted, we agree with your law and what flows from your throne for our own good and flourishing. Okay. You guys already know all this stuff, obviously. This is for the online people. You think, well, if he doesn't judge by what he sees or what he hears, well, what? Well, look at this. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Isaiah 42 says that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon the servant of the Lord in whom the Lord delights. And I want you to see the connection between this Isaiah 42, 1 through 10. All of it's good. Don't have time. The Spirit of the Lord rests upon the servant of the Lord. And the very next verse, the very thing the Spirit energizes and empowers is to bring forth justice on the earth. Come on, I'm trying to cast a little vision as a spiritual community that the gospel speaks to the issues of our day. The reality of what God has done, is doing, will do at the end of the age through His Son, Jesus. You and I can participate in that now. We can become participants and recipients of that transforming, reconciling grace and then be instruments who are sent 
to impact culture around us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says that the Spirit of the Lord rests upon Him and He brings forth justice on the earth. Come on, how many want the King to come and establish justice on the earth in this hour? I want to end with this. I was up in the night just tossing and turning, wondering when morning would come. Anyone ever had a night like that? Nobody. That's fine. I'm preaching now. This is the 13th Sunday. Drew and I, or whoever I was with this week, we counted since we met as a people gathered in person like this. 13 weeks is a long time. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey man, it was a long time. I really missed you. In Mark chapter 9, I believe we see a powerful prophetic right now commentary of our hour. In John chapter 9, we see Jesus ascend the mountain with the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus and who he is Though hidden from the common eye, for a moment the Father removed the veil over the disciples' eyes and they could see Jesus for who He really is. Come on, somebody say, Father, remove the veil in our hour. Show us who Jesus is, what He cares about, what He has power to do. And for a moment on the earth, during His earthly ministry, the, the veil is, 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 is removed. And Peter, James, and John are like, whoa. His clothes are more radiantly white than any person could bleach them. And then Elijah and Moses show up. Anyone raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about in the story. Elijah and Moses show up and Peter's first comment is this. Jesus, it's good we're up here on the mountain with you. Should we set up some tents and should we just say that this mountain is now our home? We'll give enough tents for you and Elijah and Moses and for us, if you're cool with that, Jesus. This is really great to see you in all of your glory and all of your might and all of your splendor. And it's actually really cool to see the representative of the law and the prophets on this mountain, Jesus. Pretty rad. How many wish you could see it? Just the radiance, the beauty, the beaming light of Jesus. And then the Father interrupts Peter. Come on, who's ever been interrupted and you needed to be interrupted by the Father? And Elijah and Moses are gone and the Father speaks. He said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And I believe part of the coronavirus season has been an invitation for us to hit pause, stop, and to go up the mountain and to rest and to be with the Father. How many have had, obviously there's great complexity. Many have suffered a coronavirus, but how many... A part of the COVID-19 season is that your rhythms have been disrupted and maybe you've had a little tiny bit more time on the margins. Maybe not all of you or any of you, but some of you. Can I get an amen? I feel like it's been a season. It's been an opportunity to, to behold the Lord, to gaze upon Christ, to rest and abide in His goodness and His greatness and His glory. How many are thankful for seasons of like that? Maybe COVID-19 wasn't that for you, but who has ever experienced a season of resting and just knowing the Lord was charging your batteries for a purpose that was coming? Raise your hand if that resonates at all. And in Mark chapter 9, after the cloud lifts, 
The Father speaks. Moses and Elijah vanish. They don't know where it goes. Jesus leads the disciples back down the mountain. Come on, someone say, it's good to have a mountain season, but you and I, we can live out of a mountain posture, but the Father actually wants to send us back into the brokenness, chaos, and mess of humanity. Oh, we don't want to hear that part. Never mind. Come on, Gordon, help me out, bro. And they come down the mountain. What do they see? Just read Mark chapter 9 yourself. What do they see? They see a crowd. They see chaos. Come on, somebody say, that's right now. They see a crowd. They see chaos. The other nine disciples are pinned. They're surrounded by teachers of the law. There's, there's, there's animosity. There's arguing. There's fighting. There's... Jesus enters into the mess of the chaos of the crowd. And he's like, guys, what's going on? Come on, how many know so many in this hour, if there was someone, a spiritual mom or a father that could look at a son or daughter who's zealous and passionate and fiery, maybe at the start for a, a righteous cause, but now has been energized by the spirit of the mob and the crowd. How many know we need people, we need to be those people who will take the time to look in the eye and say, tell me what's going on. How many know just being asked the question might dispel or might deflect much of the animosity, the, the, the attached stuff. Come on, everyone know what I mean by the attached stuff. The enemy always wants to energize and attach stuff, even those things that are rooted in, in, in something that's good and right. But he wants to come and he wants to... You know what I'm talking about. And so here, look at this. The Father steps forward. He said, Jesus, I brought my son who's possessed by a demon, he's mute and he's deaf and it tries to kill my son. It throws him into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus, unlike Pastor Chad four times this week in video uploads, he wasn't really concerned about political correctness. He says, you faithless generation unbelieving I want to be like Jesus not because it's cool to be mean but just where you're so confident that you're submitted to the father's will you're walking in the father's nature that even the hard things you say they're sharp enough they can cut all the way to the heart and he looks at them he's like you're faithless unbelieving generation how long do I have to put up with you I'm on the mountain for a few hours and you're down here, what I anointed you to do three chapters earlier, Mark chapter 6, to go out to heal the sick, to proclaim the kingdom, to, to, to release the, the healing love of, of Jesus. I've already anointed you to do that three chapters later. You can't do what I've already called, commissioned, marked, empowered, and given you authority to do. Come on, how many have ever lived below what you've been given in the gospel? Raise your hand. Every hand should be raised and every head bowed. And Jesus says, you faithless, perverse generation, bring the boy to me. It's unbelievable. Here's what happens. Jesus looks at him. How long has he been like this to his dad? He, he interviews. I love Jesus. Someone counted. Jesus asked, I think, 313 questions in the gospel. How many know, even if you don't know all the answers, maybe start with the question and give the Holy Spirit something to work with on the other side of your question. Okay, that was a freebie. Thank you, Samuel. He says, since he was a boy, 
This has been a long time problem. Since he was a little boy, the Spirit seized him and tried to take his life out. But if you can do anything, Jesus, that was the comment of the dad. If you can do anything, it'd be really great if you could step in and speak to this moment. And how many think we serve a God who is up in heaven on his royal throne, sitting indifferent to the reality of our nation, the reality of his world? How many think that he's on the balls of his feet waiting to be invited into a situation of which he is the remedy? And the father looks at his son and he looks at Jesus and he's like, if you can do anything, it sure be great to have what I've heard. You're the miracle worker. That's why I came to your disciples because I thought if they bore your name, they would bear your nature. And then he says, if you believe, all things are possible. And here's the great confession that we have so far, I've, I have shied away from because we're so addicted to have to have everything figured out from A to Z. How many know if you know A, walk in A until he reveals B? Come on. If you know B, walk in B long enough until he shows you C. Don't sit on the like chat. Don't sit on the stands and wonder. Well, until I can figure out how this this connects to this connects, step in what you know humbly, full of faith, with tenderness, but with boldness, and He'll show you the next step. And the, and the, and the Father has the great confession: I believe, but help my unbelief. Come on, how many know that there is a church in a nation called America that's in that place? We believe. Help our unbelief. And the Father says, I'm not afraid of your unbelief. Bring it before me. I'm afraid things have changed. Culture is moving at a billion miles an hour. Technology, now it's not something new every 10 years. It's every six months. I, I don't know. The foundations feel like they're shaking. I believe. Help my unbelief. And the Lord says to His church in this hour, I'm not afraid of your unbelief, but just bring it to me and I'll do something with it. And he comes and then look at this. Here's what Jesus does. The crowd comes and he sees a big mess could happen. So he takes care of the problem and he, he heals the boy. He falls down like he's dead. Listen, Jesus knows he's not dead. He lifts him up and restores him to his dad. It's pretty good. How many know in the chaos of the crowd and the messiness of life, when we're surrounded by problems and situations that in and of ourselves, we do not have the capacity to fix or solve. It's a lot easier to wish to go back to the mountain than to press into the chaos and say, Lord, maybe you've already given me an answer in the gospel that I could speak to, that I could embody, that I could release as a messenger and ambassador of the kingdom. And instead of wishing to go back on the mountain, what if it was about learning to maintain connection to the head of Christ in the chaos? Which, by the way, is how the story ends. His disciples, they come to him in the, in the, in the quietness of the room. And they're like, uh, hey, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? <laughs> why couldn't we heal the boy? Come on. How many are thankful for the disciples? <laughs> Every hand should be raised for, for those guys who got to ask the question before we had to. 
Jesus, why couldn't we do? Why couldn't we offer the solution? Why didn't we have the power, the authority, the anointing that you already gave us? How many know that if you're a believer, you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. How many know that the Spirit in you, 1 John 4, 4, is greater than the Spirit that's in the world? Come on. How many know that the very Spirit that's in you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 16, is the very Spirit that can help discern, translate, and empower you to think like God thinks in an hour of chaos like today? How many are thankful today that we have the anointing, the Holy Spirit that rests upon us in this hour? And the disciples look at Jesus and they say, how come we couldn't do it? How come we couldn't perform the miracle? How come we couldn't do what you've already empowered us to do? And he says this, and this is my last comment. This kind can only come out by prayer. I got four claps. I, I, I mean, claps are fine, but listen, this kind can only come out by prayer. Come on, say that with me. This kind can only come out by prayer. There was something, listen to me, there was something that happened between the mountain and the transfiguration and the chaos of the crowd and the, the, the frenzy and the... And Jesus has a talk with his disciples and he pulls them close. He says, dudes, you let the concerns and chaos of the crowd shift the narrative and your posture and perspective but what you really need to do is not just stay on the mountain, but to keep connection to me when you're surrounded by the chaos and the messiness and the, of the crowds. And I want you to know that God has people that are connected to him in riots and protests all over this land. I've been watching social media. There are prayer meetings. There are worshipers that are on the streets who are maintaining and contending for a connection to the God of justice in an hour where it's deeply and desperately needed. Can I get an amen? And my greatest admonition and challenge as your pastor, as your brother, as a fellow co-laborer in you, as we find ourselves in this moment, where it's so easy to get energized and excited for a moment upon what is being spotlighted and talked about, and it should be in our cultural moment, that the only way you and I will have something substantive, redemptive, and transforming to contribute is if we stay connected to the solution. That's what Jesus means by prayer. This kind can only come up. The only way you're able to impact the chaos is if you're connected to me. How many know when Jesus said it can only come out by prayer? He wasn't saying there was a magic formula they forgot. Raise your hand if you understand what I'm saying. In the name of Jesus, and there's 13 verses and four syllables, and it's just the right thing and sequence and cadence, and then the miracle comes. No, 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 no. He's saying somehow in the midst of that moment, you lost connection with who you are in me. And if there is a call for the church in this hour, it's to stay connected to the head. And what he says, we say. Come on. What he speaks, we speak. Where he goes, we go. How he moves, we move. When he says sit, 
and be silent. We sit and we grieve and mourn with the man of sorrows. When he says, step in, give the cup of cold water, give the shirt, give the food, give the cloak off your back. We do it with joy in our hearts because it's a privilege to partner with God and his redemptive reconciling plans on the earth. This is the hour that in the midst of great chaos that we do not lose connection to the one on whom the spirit of the Lord rests and who will bring forth justice on the earth. This kind can only come out by prayer. Some newer manuscripts say, and fasting. And I want to call us to prayer. Listen, I don't know what your rhythm's like. I was talking to somebody in our church sitting over here, and she was telling me about her rhythm, that it's just a goal, that everything stays off between 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. That time is reserved to stay connected to the head. I want to challenge you, whatever that looks like, before grabbing your social media, before grabbing your newsfeed, before getting caught up in the groundswell of the chaos of the crowd and the, 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 the numerous realities that need to be addressed and redeemed and touched by the grace of God. Before going there, what if you and I agreed and covenanted together that the first thing we would give ourselves to is the work of prayer? Father, what do you think? What do you feel? What do you see today? I love Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You've redeemed me, cleansed me, washed me, but I know you've created me to do great and awesome work, energized and empowered by your spirit. And part of that work is the work of redemption and the work of reconciliation in this hour. What if you and I said, Lord, we're not going to let the voice, the drowning noise of the crowd detour us from hearing the voice of our master Jesus. How many would say you want to go on that journey? It's as practical as just setting your heart first things first to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Does that make sense? Can you say amen? Where you'd open the word, the gospel, the Psalms, you'd say, Father, what are you doing in Jesus and how can I participate in that today? And I'm convinced that many of you are participating in it. Many of you are fully present. You want to be those instruments of righteousness. You want to be those messengers of hope and of the gospel. And if you just today want to stand for a fresh anointing, not to shy away from the gospel, not like the old song says, to hide it under a bush, oh no, but you want the Father to baptize you with fresh boldness and courage to be a messenger of the gospel, not just in word, but in deed, attitude and action. Can you just stand on your feet? I want to pray for us and for you and for me as I'm standing in this hour. Father, we love the mountain. We love encounters with you. We love our devotional times. We love our prayer times. But Lord, I thank you that you give us those mountain moments so that when you call us down the mountain into the chaos of the crowd, that there's something that you can do in us and release through us. And Father, in this hour, we cry out to become those people that have something that transcends popular opinion. Something that has substance, that has weight, and that has power to transform and to bring forth the very plans and purposes of God for our day and for our time. 
And Father, I pray right now, if you feel comfortable, just lift your hands and just receive. Father, I ask that you would mark us with a fresh baptism of fire and love to be messengers of the gospel in this hour. Father, I pray that you'd remove the face mask of fear. I pray that you would empower us not to just be bold and confident about what God can do in us as individuals, but what he can do through us as a community to see a city transformed in the grace of God. Father, I pray for boldness over the church in this hour to step in, to rely on the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests, who does not judge by what he sees or by what he hears, but he executes perfect righteousness out of his very nature and character. Father, I pray that the gospel would come alive in the hearts of our people today. I pray that, Lord, it wouldn't be something we dabble in, but it would be the ocean that we swim in every single moment of every day of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray right now that you would loose a fresh mantle, a fresh assignment. Come on, somebody say, I want a new assignment. Father, I ask that, that someone would step into a new place of authority today. That that place, that, that sphere of influence, that workplace, that family relationship, that, that network, that place of, of influence. I pray, Lord, you would anoint my brothers and sisters to step in with great humility, with great confidence, with great courage, with great wisdom, with great boldness to stand and to declare the good news of Jesus and his power to transform, to heal, to set free and deliver. So right now, just call on His name. Just say, Lord, I want a fresh touch from You. I want a fresh anointing. I want that power of the Spirit to be a witness who is winsome and compelling in this hour. I want to participate. I want to have something to give in the midst of the chaos of the crowd. And then, Father, Lord, I pray for grace in that place called prayer, that place of just relating to You morning, noon, and night, and all throughout the day. Father, I pray that you would strengthen the bond of that connection in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that those things that detract from your voice, that you would, in your mercy, wash them and wipe them away in Jesus' name. Father, I pray right now that you would write your word upon the hearts of our people and upon your people in this hour. Father, thank you that the ground that we stand on is solid. It's unshakable built on the very covenant that God has made with the blood of His Son to redeem, restore, and rebuild the ruined and desolate cities. So Father, I ask that the anointing of the Spirit would rest upon our people in this hour. In Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, Amen and Amen.